0: Hi, I'm Marcus. I've been working in the area of ageing and longevity for over 25 years, both here in Australia and right across the world, and I want us to develop new thinking on getting older. Booming the podcast is about unlocking the mysteries of getting older in today's society. It's about understanding the opportunity we have to embrace our new longevity and overcome the challenges that we'll encounter along the way.
1: Whenever I read a book that has a woman my age in it, she's usually, you know, wilting away with loneliness in her flat and then she finally dies of despair and gets eaten by a cat. I don't know any women like that. My women friends are funny, feisty, fabulous. They've come into their true selves. Because of ageism, um, once you are post-menopause, often you become invisible. But it is liberating to no longer be constantly scrutinised.
0: Kathy Lett is the author of numerous international bestsellers and a really sought-after commentator both in Australia and the UK. She's a columnist across major news publications and her latest book, Till Death, or A Little Light Maiming, Do Us Part, entertainingly trails the challenges and opportunities of later life in a fashion only Cathy could do.
1: People should never feel that way. I mean you've the the huge reservoir mm. of experience that older people mm. have. They've been there, they've done that.
0: Welcome to Booming, Cathy Lett.
1: Pleasure, Treasure.
0: Before talking about your new book, which I'm really uh, keen to discuss with you, I want to first come to your writing process generally and what do you enjoy about it?
1: Well, I only write because it's cheaper than therapy, <laughs> <laughs> and I always write the book I wish I'd had when I was going through something. So I kind of cannibalised my own life, right? Which started with puberty blues. Yes, so, and I really wrote that book to show my other girl, surfy girlfriends, that they were more than just a life support system to a pair of breasts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I had no idea that it was going to go. For, I was going to go from non-entity to overnight notoriety sure. in that way. So I I wrote Puberty Blues for My Girlfriends and I just decided what a great profession. You get to work in your jammies all day, drink heavily on the job, have affairs and call it research. (laughs) (laughs) So I've written about everything that's ever happened to me, being a single girl in Sydney, trying to find a man who wasn't married or gay, or married and gay (laughs) in Sydney. (laughs) You know, going on so many blind dates, you could be given a free dog. I've written about marriage and pregnancy and raising a teenage daughter and raising an autistic son and I've written about the menopause and divorce and now I'm writing about the second act Mm. in a woman's life. So I really just, whatever's boiling up ahead of steam and making me angry um, is what I write about, but I write about it in a comic way because I think if you can disarm with charm, Mm. you've got a much better chance of getting your your message across. And at the moment what's driving me crazy is ageism.
0: You have been known to embrace some of the taboo topics that that others perhaps don't touch. Do you consciously choose those sorts of issues to write about?
1: Oh, no, it's not conscious. It's it's just what I think needs needs saying. Mm. Um, And I suppose... uh, I, it's funny, isn't it? My son, who's autistic, has no filter and says what he's thinking, and, and which I find, you know, so embarrassing. Sometimes I sweat more than Donald Trump during a Sudoku. So I'm always worried about what he's going to say. But I have to admit that I also have a kind of not I'm not on the autistic spectrum, but I do have a need to tell tell the truth. And my mother's a teacher. My grandma's a teacher. I think I've got a teaching gene too. Yeah. Where I, where I, I always wanted, you know. Uh, tell women coming up behind me, this is what it was like for me. This is how you survive it with humour. So it's almost like passing on a kind of, um, you know, sort of baton to them. Sure. So, uh, yeah, and as for taboo subjects, oh, gosh. See, when women are together we do strip off to our emotional underwear mm. and it's a psychological strip teeth that reveal all reveals all mm. you know my male friends are very funny they have what I call the black belt and tongue foo where they, they shoot off one-liners and jokes they tell a lot of yes. set jokes did yes. you hear the one about the Irish you know mm. homosexuals you know poodle or whatever mm. we women never tell set jokes our humor is very cathartic it's very self-deprecating mm-hmm. um it's incredibly candid. Mm. We do tell each other everything. And it's also really, really funny. Yeah. So I think if I have any gift as a writer at all, it's putting into words what women are thinking but not necessarily saying out loud, mm-hmm. but also writing down the, the way women talk and there's no men around because yeah. you do have to be hospitalised from hilarity. <laughs> and it's not just me imagining that women are funny. Yeah. Anthropologists say that women in all cultures on the planet laugh more often than men especially in an all-female group mm. isn't that interesting
0: I can attest that my wife often <laughs> whenever she goes away on a girls weekend she comes back with headaches from, from <laughs> laughing so much with her girlfriends but
1: yeah getting extra laughter lines that's yeah. right and, and I always think you know I'm published in 17 languages now so I've been on book two in a lot of different countries yeah. and so there'll always be some male journalist who says to me oh you know you say you write funny books women aren't, aren't, aren't funny <laughs> and you know we know that yeah. men still think that because every time you see a, a you know a panel show it, there'll be all men and one token sure. female i always say we're up shit creek without a panel but um, <laughs> i think there are some men who are terrified what it is women are being funny about they presume we spend the entire time talking about the length mm. of their members mm which is not true yeah. because we also talk about the wit the <laughs> after childbirth. Much, much more important.
0: What sort of responses do you get from audiences when you do pick up some of these topics?
1: Generally speaking, really great response yeah. because it's a relief. You just want to know yeah. sometimes that you're not alone. Yeah. And comedians have always had that job of being the of pointing out that, that the elephant in the room, that the emperor has no clothes and he has a very small appendage. You know? <laughs> so that's always been our kind of role. Yeah. And and most of my audiences when I give talks, it's all women. Uh, it's a couple of men. You know, mm. they're usually ovulating by the end <laughs> of, the, of the chat. But I think the women love it. They they love the sense of camaraderie, and. Um, mm. And the empathy and the empowerment that mm. I, I give them. To ju- I just tell them to go forth and be fabulous.
0: Which I imagine is quite, quite powerful. And do you think there's a a lack of those opportunities yes. for women to really come together in that sort of way?
1: Yeah, and also, you know, the trouble is, especially for older women, we never see ourselves represented. Mm. 85% of people on television over 50 in Australia are men. Yeah. Women just get put out to pasture. Yeah. And... and you know, a man my age is deemed to be a silver fox and a, and a man of experience, whereas I'm dismissed as an old bag, mm. an old hag, and a chook. You know, an old chook. And know, I, I think in my, I'm in my prime. Yeah. You know, I'm putting the sex into sexagenarian. <laughs> <100%, laughs>
0: One so, hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I just think that's the problem that we never see no. ourselves. We're, you know, we should we should almost be included in the sort of. Um, you know, in, a, in the minority
0: section yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: and diversity. Having a woman over 60 on television is part of diversity. So. A-
0: absolutely, and that really is, an, is the issue of ageism. And to me, ageism is the last acceptable form of prejudice. Do you have that sort of sense in regards to discrimination based on age and other forms I of ageism?
1: I totally agree with you, yeah. and especially for women, though, mm. because whenever I read a book, yeah. a novel that has a woman my age in mm. it, She's usually, you know, wilting away with loneliness in her flat and Mm. then she finally dies of despair and gets eaten by cats.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know any women like that. My women friends are funny, Mm. feisty, fabulous. They've come into their true selves. And, of course, why this happens is that biologically, um, I mean, I think for women life is in two acts. Mm -hmm. The trick is surviving the interval. (laughs) (laughs) The interval is the menopause, which is truly awful. I was sweating so much it was like the Gestapo were trying to get a confession out of me. (laughs) But after that, you know, this wonderful thing happens where your estrogen levels drop Mm. and your testosterone comes up. So you get a little bit more more feisty, a little bit more selfish, a little bit more like a bloke actually. (laughs) Um, and you can put yourself first for mm. the first time in your life because women are brought up to be decorative, demure, and, and you know we know from research that if a man and woman start talking at time, the woman always pulls back. That mm. wouldn't happen to a postmenopausal woman. Mm. She ha- she would have her say yeah. and claim her space. Yeah. And of course, what happens to men is the opposite. Mm. As they age, their testosterone can't speak. Testosterone. Drops. Just that word. Or? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> their testosterone drops and their yeah. estrogen comes up. Mm. So the majority of divorces now are initiated by women. Um, and the two peak times are when the last child finishes school and when the husband retires. You are these silver divorces. Mm. And it's because there's such a big gap in what what older people want. You know, men are like, well, I want to stay at home and nest. And, and the women are like, I've nested. i mm. you know I'm I've, ready I've, now. I've buttered 4,000 acres of toast. <laughs> I've I've roasted four thousand, you know, flocks yep. of of chickens and schools of smoke, schools of salmon. Like yeah. I wanna go up Everest and down the Amazon. So there is a big dichotomy. It's mm. a it's a new um, phenomenon in, in in our society because also women have the rocket fuel of HRT and we yeah. have longevity. You know, we're living for so much longer and mm from honeymoon to tomb can be like 70 80 years yeah, yeah. and that's a long time to for someone to find your anecdotes interesting isn't Indeed. it <laughs> So it is something we have to address, yeah. this, this different um, needs that older Australians have.
0: So looking at the second act in, in some more depth and through the lens of your new book and congratulations on Till Death or A Little Light Maiming Do Us Part. It's a Thank wonderful you. read. I really enjoyed it.
1: Thanks. I can't believe it. I'm so thrilled you slipped between my covers. Oh well it was my pleasure
0: to do so and
1: Oh, satisfaction guaranteed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if Jason Riley's a relative or not of mine, but um, <laughs> Some of the, the key themes really stood out to me in, in reading the book and, and one is this intention or ambition to redefine our lives and, and you were just alluding to that. Firstly, this concept of a big life, I'm entering this new phase and what should I be seeking to, to achieve or to, to experience in this next phase? Do you think that prompts a resetting, if you like? I, with who yeah,
1: I think definitely a resetting because it's like let's carpe the hell out of DM, Carpe Diem like there's no tomorrow mm. because there's not a lot of tomorrows mm. left. So I have a travel column I write for the British newspapers called Adventure Before Dementia. I love it. (laughs) And it's about encouraging people my age to Mm. get out of their comfort zone and and try new things. And psychologists maintain that it's trying new things that keeps you young anyway. Absolutely, yeah. That keeps you mentally agile. Mm. Um, So... And I think don't put it off, Mm -hmm. you know, a a Zimmer frame could definitely cramp my style on a black ski run or when I'm scuba diving, (laughs) right? So just absolutely seize the day. So, I mean, in my travel column, I get to go to some amazing places. Iceland and and climbed a volcano yes I've been to the Serengeti and gone in a hot air balloon I've gone scuba diving in the Maldives I've been to Egypt and and you know what blows your mind in Egypt when you see the pyramids is that Cleopatra would have taken Mark Antony there to look at old stuff like you know it, it blows your mind yeah so I've got to travel to all these amazing places so um I wanted to as we were stuck in the pandemic we've had two years of not being able to go anywhere yeah. I wanted to take my readers on a trip so i mean as as you know how yeah. the book begins is Gwen our 60 year old very straight school teacher is driving to school and she hears on the radio that a man's been taken by a great white shark where her husband swims so she screams down to the beach jumps out of the car and she's as she's realizing yes it is her husband who's missing and yeah. her grief's kicking in another woman rides up on a motorbike Fifty-year-old jazz singer called Tish, who thinks it's her husband. So they very quickly realise they're married to a bigamist, mm. and he's taken all their money. So it's really an odd couple comedy where these two very very different women yes. get together to chase their money around the world, and there's lots of twists and turns, mm. and and it's a celebration of female friendship. Because I, I, I do think women are each other's human wonder bras, uplifting, supportive, and making each other look better. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but it's also a way of taking my readers on a great, a, a thrilling ride, an escapade sure. around the globe. Uh, and, and I know a lot of these places well, so it was a delight to write about them again. You yeah, know?
0: <laughs> absolutely. And you mentioned before about prioritising oneself. Do you think that is more of a challenge for women as they enter the Second act that they do start putting themselves first, yes, probably for the first time in their lives.
1: Definitely, I mean, women always take the burnt bit of toast, the mm. burnt chop, we never get the window seat in the plane, you know, that's just how we roll.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and and when if you do put yourself first, your guilt gland throbs, mm. but you know, we've you, women have earned it mm. for goodness sake, sure. I mean. Even though women make up fifty percent of the workforce, we still know that we're doing about ninety-nine point nine percent of all the housework and the and the mm. childcare. I mean, not not in your family, obviously, because you're you're a caring and sharing new age level. Well, life. I had
0: four older sisters to uh, oh, educate me along insane. the way. you that
1: <laughs> And I was wondering why you're so good at girl talk. <laughs> wow. Well, that's the best training in the world. Indeed. But you know, and I used to think, uh, can women have it all? Um, yes, but not all at once. Mm. So especially when you're younger and you're trying to juggle kids and career, I mean you juggle so much you could be in the Cirque du Soleil and I think the Dunkirk evacuation would be easier to (laughs) organise than a working mother getting her kids up and out of the house in the morning. And I used to have this argument with my own husband saying, you've got to help me more around the house. And he'd be like, well, I'd like to help but I'm a man and I can't multitask. I mean, come on, you must have heard some men say that.
0: Well, I do recall my dad just coincidentally inviting me to come and Play with the cricket ball or the football at the back at the same time the washing up process is about to begin. So exactly, it, it's a reality. Yeah. But
1: it's a biological cop out because no man would have any trouble multitasking at say an orgy or a menage a trois. He'd be tweaking and
0: twirling and it'd all be going on. Well, at least I like the opportunity.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, and I always say to men, it's in your interest to help more around the house because it's hmm. scientifically proven that no woman ever shot her husband while he was vacuuming. <laughs> And I also do all my research in an in-depth sort of scientific fashion over cocktails with (laughs) girlfriends. And what I gleaned is that a lot of my women friends were not having sex with their husbands. and It was because they were resentful but also exhausted. You know, when you've worked all day, come home at night, defrosted the chops, cooked the dinner, found the lost sports kit, helped with the homework, done the nagging about the teeth cleaning, read the bedtime stories, blah, 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 put the washing on, done the ironing, put the cat out. By the time you get into bed, the one thing you're fantasizing about is sleep and then you get the hand groping over the sheets and you're thinking, here's this guy hasn't talked to me all day or helped me around the house and he thinks I'm in the mood for love. And, yep. of course, you're in the mood for running him through with a carving knife.
0: <laughs> There's a quote that really stood out to me. Aging is an extraordinary process whereby you become the person you always should have been. Do you think that's inevitable for us?
1: Um, well, I think it is for, for. I don't know if it's inevitable. If you go with your instincts, it's and it's how it should be. I, that's why I say I don't think women come into their true selves until mm. post-menopause because for the first time ever, you're no longer in the male gaze. I mean, which is what do you mean by that? Okay. Well, as a woman, as you're always objectified the whole time. Mm. Every time you meet men, you know that they're gauging you on your on the attractiveometer. They're thinking about you naked. I mean, <laughs> that's just the way it is. And it's it's really unsettling. Well, and
0: silence I, is neither confirming or denying. That.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but of course, because of ageism, mm. um, once you get once you are post menopause, often you become invisible. I mean, we women talk about this cloak of invisibility mm. that we get. And I always say, yes, but are we going to use it for good or for evil? <laughs> <laughs> but it is liberating yeah. to no longer be be constantly scrutinized. Um, Although all my life I've complained about men whistling on the street, Mm. but of course now occasionally I'm walking around. I think, well, a little whistle wouldn't go (laughs) straight. I think it should be it should be banned for women under fifty and mandatory for women (laughs) over (laughs) fifty. Good concept. I like
0: that's right.
1: Um, But I think not being in the centre of the male gaze, and of course you've raised your children, you've cut the psychological umbilical cord. and because of this, you've got HRT or because just naturally you've got more testosterone. Mm. I mean, sometimes I'm thinking something now and I, and then I think, oh, that just came out of my mouth. I actually said that right. out loud. And it's so liberating. Yeah. I men have always been able to do that. Yeah. But women haven't because we were raised to be polite and, you know, as I said earlier, mm. demure, de- decorative, draped over the arm of yeah. some of some guy. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's why I think women come into their true selves mm. because we, we, just, we no longer care. You lose the ability to give a fig about what people yeah. think about you Yeah, and it's a joy.
0: That notion of being liberated as you move through that stage of life, what does that then trigger, do you think, in terms of opportunities to pursue in terms of their, their passions or their goals or interests? Does it, yeah. does it unlock that potential? It does
1: and, and, and they shouldn't, you know, what do they call it when you spend your kid's inheritance? Ski, a ski trip. Spend kids' inheritance, yes, yes. that's right. You shouldn't feel intimidated about having a ski, ski mm. trip <laughs> because um, just tell them all the things you've given up for them, yep. you know, your figure, your pelvic floor, that lovely Mercedes sports car you could have bought, <laughs> those holidays in Samaritz or yeah, whatever. Yep. You know, you have mm. given up so much for them and it's your turn to shine. Don't, don't think twice about it, just go for it. And what the last two years have taught us is you never know what's around the corner. After two years of pandemic and then rootin' and tootin' and shootin' and Putin with his finger on the <laughs> nuclear trigger. So, yeah, yeah, and I really hope this novel encourages women to go forth and be fabulous. And uh, with the research I've been doing on my column, Adventure Before Dementia, is that 85% of solo travellers in the world are women and they're women of a certain age. Isn't that it's fascinating? Telling. yeah, absolutely. And whether their husbands just don't want to travel with them or whether they're widowed or whether mm. they're divorced they're, they're just making the most of it.
0: Which comes to another quote from the book, a gap year is wasted on the young. <laughs> and that really talks, I think, to your your column adventure before dementia and, and the spirit that that, that fosters. Another I guess, question through the book is the benefits and the pressure of the passing of time and Again, another line from the book is just when you've learnt to make the most of your life, most of your life is gone.
1: Well, I know. That's that's the great cosmic joke, isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: what do you think that should fuel in people in terms of reaping the benefits of of the passage of time and experience and all that that brings and the other side of it, the pressure that you feel maybe to perhaps even withdraw more, which obviously is a another scourge of ageism where, where people feel when they get to a particular age they should participate less and, and they're of less value. You-
1: oh, isn't that awful? Mm. People should never feel that way. I mean, you've, the, the huge reservoir mm. of experience that older people mm. have, they've been there, they've done that Yeah. just to share that. I, I hate the idea that people think they've passed their amuse-by date. Mm. There's a, a food chain in Britain called Tesco Yes. and they've just f- taken off the use um, by dates on their fruit because they said people can make up their own mind, you know, just smell it for God's sake. (laughs) So I think I wish they would pay the same respect to older people. Don't put a use-by date on us. Just, you know, suck it and see. Mm. (laughs) And and the other thing that made me crazy recently was that the Bank of England, the deputy governor, I think his name's um, Broadbent, he w- made this terrible statement where he said that the the um, economy was going through a menopausal phase, meaning that it was past its peak of productivity. Wow. And I was like, tell that to Oprah Winfrey yeah. and, you know, and, and Judy Dench yeah. and Angela Merkel mm. and Julia Gillard and, I mean, all Helen Mirren, all yeah. these... Kate Blanchett, yeah. you know, Nicole Kidman. I mean, the list Kathy is Lett. oh, well done. I'm very happy you put me in that category, but I'm not quite there. I'm more. I'm not a national treasure. I'm more of a buried treasure. But it just infuriated me that mm. the sexism of, of the language that that that's, that term is used to dismiss a woman when I think you're coming into your period of peak productivity yeah. because you're no longer distracted mm. raising children.
0: Absolutely. Coming to your relationships. You you mentioned before your three sisters and, and your mum. How how was the relationship with those important people in your life evolved through different phases of your life?
1: Oh Well, I wouldn't have survived without my sisters, mm. for sure. You know, I said that your women friends are your human wonder bras. Mm. I would be totally flat without <laughs> my female friends and my three sisters. Um, and I think that's why I'm such a champion of women because I grew up in mm. a very female-centric household. Uh, So in all my novels, I always champion women because 100 years since Emily Pankhurst tied herself to the railing, we still don't have equal pay. We're still getting concussion hitting our head on the glass ceiling Mm. and we're supposed to clean it while we're up there. (laughs) So any woman who calls herself a post-feminist has kept her wonder bra and burned her brain because we still have a long way to go. (laughs) Mm. But um, we don't whinge about it. You know, my only motto is laugh and the world, laughs with you. Cry and you get salt in your shampers, which we yeah. definitely don't want. But I think we have got a lot to whinge about. You know, starting with being the the butt of God's biological joke. I mean, mm. you've got how many sisters? Four. Four sisters. Well, then, yeah, you know, women from when we first get taken hostage by our hormones once a month as teenagers, yeah. and then we've got pregnancy where every everything swells to sumo wrestler proportions, mm. and then there's childbirth where you stretch your birth canal the customary what five kilometres then mastitis, then the menopause, and then just when everything goes quiet, do you know what happens? You grow a beard. How can that be fair? I could make a macrame hanging basket <laughs> arrangement what's going on here. So, you know, women have a lot to put up with. Um and Then we have, as I said earlier, the second glass ceiling, which is the domestic glass mm-hmm. ceiling, which we can't, don't seem able to break. Uh So... Yeah, I think if you couldn't have a laugh with your girlfriends mm. and, your, and your sisters, you know, you you wouldn't get through it, and yeah. especially because I had to raise a child on the autistic spectrum. There were many days where I was just devastated right. and and just wrung out and could hardly pick myself up off the floor. Mm. And it was being able to have a laugh and finding that black humour in yeah. situations, which is what your women friends give you.
0: Cathy, I want to talk about your own ageing and... More specifically, your approach to aging—are there particular uh, mantras or approaches that you really adhere to as you navigate through later stages of life?
1: I suppose it's just that uh, you know, aging is inevitable, but 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 growing up is optional. (laughs) (laughs) Never lose your sense of fun Mm. and frivolity. You know, if you can laugh at life,
0: Mm.
1: well, that's like that's a lifeline for you. So, and 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 just say yes. When I look back at my life, there's not many things I regret doing, but there's a lot that I regret not doing. When I said no, yes. I should have said yes. So I basically say yes now to everything, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and have an adventure yeah. just see, you can always go home, just, just see where it takes you. Mm. Cause I know as people age, they sometimes kind of shut themselves down, but and, and that's so. It's so limiting, and it ages you. It prematurely ages you. So just yeah, just put a big yes on the fridge, and just just nod like a naughty dog <laughs> in the back of the car. I mean, an example of what I say are things I regret not doing. When I worked in LA on a sitcom, uh, we had to cast an unknown actor for the love interest part, right. and we cast this unknown actor called George Clooney, and he asked me out for coffee, and I said no. Wow. And I can still remember what I said. I said, "Um, I'm a writer. I don't go out with actors. You put other people's words in your mouth when you never know where they've been. I mean, what? And then years later, after I'd met Jeff and I had babies, I was living in London, um, one of my writer friends from L.A. was visiting me. And remember that show ER? Yes, yes. That was kind of his George Clooney's big it breakout was. show. Yeah. ER was on in the background. And I'm going, oh, look at Dr. Ross. Isn't he gorgeous? <laughs> I could swim through a pool of my own drool to get to him. And he said, but, but 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 that's the guy who asked you out. That That's George Clooney. And I was like,
0: ah!
1: I lay in a fetal position and sobbed for about two days. And I thought at the time I'd ring him and say, oh, George,
0: about that day. <laughs> I'm ready time now. to think it through. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, just never say no.
0: <laughs> I'm sure George reflects on your no quite often as well.
1: <laughs> I'm sure it keeps him awake. Bit, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, Kathy, I've got three quick questions to finish with. Mm-hmm. The first one is if you could talk to yourself 20 years ago, what's the one piece of advice you'd give?
1: Wear sunblock. <laughs> don't forget, I was a surfy girl. Indeed. So, you know, the boys used to get us to cut their names out in paper, sticky tape them to our stomachs, and then sunbake yeah. So we get a tan you, tattoo of the shape of their names. So if ever I get a melanoma, it's going to be called Bruce. <laughs> I have to have a Bruce ectomy <laughs> to get rid of it. So, yeah. But no, and seriously, I would say don't care so much what people think about you. Mm. Don't care. Just be yourself.
0: Second is, What is the greatest thing about getting older?
1: Well, the greatest thing is that your eyesight goes a bit so you can't quite see those hairs growing out of your chin. (laughs) I would say the best beauty tip, the best anti-aging beauty tip, take off your glasses.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful advice. Final question, one thing you wish for in your future?
1: Equal pay. I want women to finally achieve equal pay. And it's not going to happen until men join us at the barricades because we women have been saying the same thing for so long. And if I were a man, I'd be so embarrassed that women don't have equal pay. Mm. And, you know, sometimes men say to me, oh, you feminists asking for so much. And I go, what do we want? Equal pay, yes. We'd like men to work out that mutual orgasm is not an insurance company. That'd be great. We'd like them to help around the house, as I said earlier. (laughs) And we'd also like them to do the odd sensitive thing with snow peas in the kitchen, because the way to a woman's heart is through her stomach. That is not aiming too high. <laughs> what does a woman really want in bed? Breakfast <laughs> and a really good book, <laughs> which oh, we just happen to have. <laughs> Till death or a little light, Mamie, do us part. <laughs>
0: what a wonderful note to to finish on, Kathy. Let it's been absolute. Pleasure to have a conversation with you. Thank you for sharing your insights and your inspiration.
1: But, but it's lovely to talk to you because you have a high EQ, you have an emotional quotient and you're absolutely charming. So your sister's raised you well. Oh, well <laughs> I
0: hope we've got that recorded. Uh, thanks so much, Kathy. It's a pleasure. I really enjoyed that chat with Kathy. I'm sure you'll agree that in her unique way, kathy shared really poignant messages about getting older the value of an open mindset the importance of the quality of our relationships not just the relationships themselves and the absolute need for us to pursue our passions are just a few of the key lessons kathy shared with us i think they are all key components for us to embrace as part of our new thinking on getting older and important ingredients for us as we seek to age better If you want to find out more in support of your pursuit of ageing better, go to the booming website, booming.net.au.